Hey y'all, my name is Bailey Bronner and you are listening to Ask a Pastor Anything, a space for questions, exploration, and curiosity. Each episode, I sit down with a new or old friend to discuss a question you all wanted to hear about. Welcome to Ask a Pastor Anything. Let's get into it. Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of Ask a Pastor Anything. Today is another exciting episode. I say that every time, but I mean it. Uh, Today we have my friend Alicia here. Alicia is a pastor uh, in the New England area, and I'm going to have her introduce herself a little bit more. So uh, welcome, Alicia. Thanks for being here. And uh, can you go ahead and introduce yourself for us, your name, your pronouns, uh, what you do, what you're passionate about, anything else fun that you want to tell about yourself? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm super excited to be doing this with you. Um, So as you said, I am Alicia Velez-Stewart. I am the pastor at the Bridgewater United Methodist Church in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Um, And I am super passionate about helping folks find ways to reconnect with their faith. Um, That seems to be the work that I've been doing a lot lately is Um, sitting with folks and kind of walking this journey with them of reconnecting back to the divine, whatever that looks like, um, and providing a safe and a brave space for people to do that. So as far as my ministry, that is what I am super passionate about. Um, I'm also really passionate about my my pug, (laughs) um, who's like my co-pastor, Pastor Emmy. Um, And you know, just trying to figure out how to to manage ministry and life and make it life-giving um, in some real, like, tangible ways for me and also for my family. What do you do for fun? Huh. What do I do for fun? <laughs> so I don't know. Like, we're we're just a weird kind of of crew over here. Like, I have so I have chickens. And we um, we set up a webcam <laughs> in the chicken coop so I can check on the chickens when I want to. It's so, like, that's kind of fun. <laughs> um, right now I'm working on a COVID blanket that I'm knitting, um, which is giving me like some purpose. I'm really looking forward to this maybe being one of those like family heirlooms that you're your grandkids talk about, you know, when grandma was in the COVID and she knit this blanket and we're kind of afraid to get rid of it because <laughs> she may have some bad juju in it or something like, um, but I also like, I love to go kayaking when I'm able to get time to do that. I love gardening. That's something that's, uh, I guess, I guess a passion of mine, um, outdoor gardening, container gardening, um, indoor gardening, like any any way of making life a little bit more sustainable, which has come in incredibly handy during this time of pandemic. Yeah, so like I do, I keep myself busy as much as possible with even the most mundane things. You have to have a sense of humor about everything. I feel like in this in this kind of climate and with the work that we do as pastors. And so when I say like I'm able to find joy and fun in just about anything that I do. I really do mean that. Um, It's kind of a coping mechanism as well as an opportunity to like find joy in even the smallest things. Right. Which seems, I mean, I think just hearing that can sound like you're overly optimistic or you're like, you know, letting a lot of things slide. But I think that it's, pretty, I mean, I think it's kind of like an activist move in a, in a lot of ways, right? To like find joy in the shitty situations and not say like, oh, yeah. these things aren't happening, but like we're, we're going to have to experience this whether we like it or not. So what is the, where can we like find joy in the midst of it? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's just, I mean, that's a huge part of my philosophy just in life. Um, and it always has been that, you know, I, I like to think that I I work hard on being someone that things don't necessarily happen to. Um, and so when I'm confronted with a situation or when I'm confronted with a social climate that doesn't seem conducive to being life-giving, 
I am going to try to find a way to make it life-giving in some way, shape, or form. And this is just personally for me, because that's the only way I can survive. Um, you know, it's it's not just about, not so much about the work that I do um, without intention. It's like everything needs to have intention. And the intention is to create space where people, myself included, can thrive, not just merely survive. And sometimes that just means reframing things in a way that empowers us to feel like we can do this um, or to create spaces that we can surround ourselves with folks who can empower us. Um, and you have you need to have joy in order to do that, I think, um, because that's what makes um, it easy to do. That's what makes it, you know, second nature. You only, you only get good at what you practice, right? So if, if you're able to practice meaning making in a way that creates joy, then it makes it a little bit easier to do in times like we find ourselves in right now. I think you model that really well. Or I mean, just uh, when we were in school together, like that was something, that's something I can see in you as you're saying it now. And I think that like, same thing with that sort of calm, non-anxious presence that they say that like is really good for for pastoral people. Like right. not in the sense of like calm as like always, you know, monotonous or just like in the same tone of voice, but just like, hey, like I'm here, I'm present, I'm, you know, doing the best I can and like, and and acknowledging the shitty things, and also, you know, kind of like rolling with the punches and staying, staying that, uh, that like North Star for people, maybe. Like, I think right. there's like a dependability element. Anyone, I don't think anyone would describe me as calm. Like, I, well, yeah, I was trying to reframe calm, but I think you have a lot of energy, but I also think like yeah. you, your energy feels grounded. And I think that it is. I mean, it, it definitely, it, I'm still able to remain focused even as I'm, and sometimes it is a desperate search, like trust me, to find the joy or the light, right? But I mean, you know, as a pastor, my my understanding of really God and the spirit is that God is constantly breaking through um, in beautiful and wonderful ways. And we can see that as long as we remain open to it. And I think that that's really where my energy and my passion comes from that, uh, you know, I'm willing to approach just about anything 110%. And it's not because of a, of a, or, I mean, I am a bit of a perfectionist, but, and an overachiever, but it's more about like, if it's not worth doing well, then it's not worth my time and it's not worth my energy because it's not going to be sustainable or life-giving. So how can I find ways to channel that energy to make it work in such a way that I don't feel like it's death dealing? That's really important. Um, a, a segue, I suppose, into yeah. the question for today. Um, somebody asked, how do you manage the life ministry balance uh, so that your personal relationships stay healthy. So you've kind of touched a little bit on that, but I'm going to see, uh, I'm going to ask again and you can, you can get yeah. us, get us rolling and then uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. So Alicia, how do you manage the life ministry balance? So your personal relationships stay healthy. That's cute. No, honestly. Um, <laughs> right. Like what is health? Like what is right. well-being? What, you know, all these existential ephemeral questions. Um, I think w one of the biggest parts of this whole being in ministry thing, and especially for those of us who are in the United Methodist system, where we are literally like surrendering ourselves to a system, mm -hmm. um, whether we like it or not, or we appreciate it or not, um, is to surround yourself, like I was saying before, with, with people who can empower you. And that looks different. It's not just having like a cheerleading team that's like, rah, rah, you can totally do this. You're a queen, straighten your crown, right? It's, it's more about, um, about having people who hold you accountable, who know you intimately and well enough that they can sense when your energy is off. Like if I'm showing up to something and the joy just isn't there, 
I have folks who can kind of call me out and be like, something's going on. Um, but as far as like family and, you know, I'm blessed to have an incredibly supportive family, an incredibly supportive partner with my spouse. Um, you know, we've got a busy household. I've got four kids. Um, I've got a church I'm going to be taking on. I'm going to be appointed to a second church. So I'll have a two point charge in July. You know, there, there are a lot of moving parts. And I think for me, you know, like you were saying that, that grounded energy, I think for me, it's about maintaining intentionality with everything that I do. Um, and setting really good boundaries, which is hard to do right now in this time of COVID because we're, you know, before my office, like I made a point that my office at the church was my only office space. I don't necessarily have an office here um, at the Parsonage because I needed to have that separation. And we're not right next door to the church. We're like maybe not even a half a mile away, but it's enough of a separation to be like, okay, this is church space and this is home life space. Um, unfortunately, I can't use my office right now, right? So I'm noticing that I'm having to adjust those boundaries um, and get better about vocalizing what it is that I need in order to feel supported. Um, and thankfully, Brian is like super patient with me <laughs> because um, like last week, we've been holding it down and it's, you know, we've got the three of the kids are in elementary school. The twins are 10. Youngest, is, I'm sorry, the twins are nine. Youngest is eight. Um, and so, you know, I'm trying to manage all of their schoolwork and teach them new skills that they don't have a good understanding basis of that they would normally be speaking to their teacher about while I'm also trying to manage the household and do, you know, my church work and pa be pastor and be calm and unanxious. Um, and what I found was I was probably holding it together a little too well <laughs> because I like had a moment last week where Brian and I kind of were like ships passing in the night in the, in the kitchen. And I, I looked at him and he's like, so how are things going? And I just said, I'm not okay. <laughs> like and started crying. <laughs> and, um, and he was like, Oh gosh, like he had this panicked look on his face and he said, you know, what, what, what do you need? What do you mean? I'm like, I don't even know. Um, but I said, you know, I feel like, I feel like I'm trying to hold everything together so much for, for everybody that nobody recognizes that things are not okay at this point. And he said, okay, well, I need you to, to just kind of like set up a, set up a flag when you're really struggling. And it was helpful for him to not take it personally, um, that it wasn't a personal attack on him, that I didn't feel like he wasn't helping out enough. I mean, it was just, this is how I was feeling. Um, and this is something that we've been working on throughout our entire relationship is how do we deeply listen to one another and be able to respond to the needs without like anticipating what it is and then getting it wrong. Um, we've been married for 14 years and we're still like learning how to communicate with each other. But I think one of the big things for me, as far as like keeping my family relationships intact while doing ministry is that ability to be able to say what I need and not feel like I'm going to be judged for it or that the other person is going to become defensive. Um, the other thing that I have that I utilize is um, I have a, an amazing therapist who is also a spiritual director. And it's been really helpful to have somebody that I can unpack all of this like ministry stuff with. And she's able to help me parse out like what's, what's a God thing, what's a ministry thing and what's a Alicia, get your head out of your ass thing. Um, and so I find that to be incredibly helpful because I need people like that <laughs> in my life. Um, and she's also good at calling me out when I'm trying too hard to find the joy. Um, where she will have me take a step back and say, okay, like you are trying real hard to reframe this. What are you afraid of that if you admit that this is not 
a joy giving experience? Like why, why is that a bad thing to, to say that? Um, so I'm, I'm really thankful that I have, I have that resource as well. Cause I mean, you and I have talked about this. Like I have anxiety. It's something that I've always had, um, from when I was a kid. And so building on those, those coping mechanisms, um, and getting new tools from my toolbox to deal with the way that I feel my anxiety and the way it manifests itself, um, is not only helpful for ministry, but also in my interpersonal relationships. And I guess the last thing that I would say, and this is something that I tell all like new ministers, new pastors, like anyone that, that I am kind of put in contact with to, to, to be like a mentor, um, find someone you can be weird with. Mm -hmm. And, And I mean that, um, I am so blessed that, so, so like you said, where I'm in the New England area, and if anyone is familiar with New England, you know how our older towns are set up, right? Like there's 12 mainline churches all around the center of town. Like you could throw a rock and hit like a church. Um, and so where our church is, we have a nice little town green. It's like this little little common area and right across the street is the congregational church and the pastor of the congregational church is um is my age she, you know we have we have kids that are close to the same age but she is just as weird as I am which I love um and so it's been incredibly helpful to have like a partner in ministry who's not in the same denomination as I am um, that we can bounce ideas off of each other and just have fun. Um, so like we have walkie talkies and we'll walkie each other <laughs> from our offices. I tell, I'm telling you, I'm like a 12 year old, like I'm like a fifth grader. Um, and so we have walkie talkies and I can walkie her and say, you know, we have, we gave ourselves call names to like, she's pastor Beth PB. So she's peanut butter. Right. And, I'm PA, Pastor Alicia, also AKA loudspeaker. So peanut butter and loudspeaker will talk to each other um, on the walkies and be able to say like, hey, I need a caffeine break, meet you at Better Bean. And, you know, and then we should, we scoot down. So, um, you know, that helps too, to have someone who understands the challenges of being a pastor um, because she's in the same boat, but it's a different context and a different community. So we're able to like mutually support one another and work collaboratively. So, you know, those are the three big things like communication, um, open communication with the people in your life, having a good sounding board, like a therapist, and then having somebody that you can be weird with in ministry to kind of, you know, get the, uh, get the wiggles out, if you will, like I tell the kids, um, and like play ideas off of each other. So that's, you know, that's how I keep myself relatively in one piece. <laughs> it's hard to do. I don't, yeah, I, I resonate with a lot of what you're saying. And I mean, you and I have different, you know, circumstances. I don't have, um, I don't live with my family, uh, don't have a partner, you know, that I, that I live with and all that stuff. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, the struggles are, are similar, um, enough that I understand what you're saying. And, and, um, yeah, I, the, the second thing you were talking about with, with like being able to acknowledge when things aren't good, um, mm-hmm. how that's challenging to do sometimes when you're in a, in a role where like every week you are expected to find the hope, the good news, right? Um, <laughs> It's, um, there's some, there's some challenging times when it's hard to find the good news, but like, that's our task in, in some way. Um, I, my therapist told me, oh, so I kept saying, I kept talking about things that had happened to me, like not great things. And I would say, you know, um, this thing happened in my life. So blah, 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 blah. And the so part was like the solution to it, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, here's how I reacted to make it to finish that story so that it's a complete thing and I can just let it go. Um, And uh, Deb, my therapist said, you know, what would happen if you just stopped that sentence, right? Like what would happen if you said, um, this shitty thing happened in my life and it made me feel sad, period. Not, 
<laughs> yeah, not like this shitty thing happened in my life and I felt sad. So I went on a walk and it refueled my soul. And now I'm able to look back on that and say that it's a complete thought, right? And right. and um, I still don't really do that because the way that my brain processes things, it's like I, I need to be I, – I process things really quickly. And so there's like a fast-pacedness that's never going to go away that I like about right. myself. And also there's there's goodness in taking a pause and being patient, which I am also not good at in the general scope of my life. No. Uh, yeah, right. I like to um, – I like my checklist. I like to get shit done. I mm-hmm. – um, that's important to me. So yeah, but but that the I guess it's grounding, right? The the sense of giving space to actually feel things, um, and and acknowledging that maybe you won't do that in a church context. Maybe like when you are Pastor Alicia or Pastor Bailey, you're not going to be right. Um, you're not going to be acting that same way. But but when you go home can be an expectation and you don't have to feel like you're hiding a part of yourself for acting differently in the different contexts of your life. I do think that my, my congregation, my parishioners, my leadership, like I've brought my weird with Mm me. I don't, I don't try to compartmentalize that part of who I am because that is a huge part of my faith journey and a huge part of my theology. Um, And I say that because, you know, my, my people know that, or at least I hope that they know that when I'm talking about the gospel, right. When I'm talking about the good news, I'm talking about kind of in a way like what you what you're doing when you're when you're like creating that finalized sentence when you're like this bad thing happened and so I therefore I can right um and I think that that's the big thing about where I come from with preaching and teaching is that the good news is not so much that bad things aren't going to happen because bad things happen right and and it's not so much that that you know if you're super faithful or if you you know never experience a faith crisis um you know it's because you are abundantly blessed more so than the person who is having doubts i mean that's that's not how i view the the gospel and i try to to preach and teach from that place too that the the good news is that God's love is transformational, that God is able to break through, um, even in the darkest of places, that nothing is out of the reach of grace, and that that we have a God who has walked and lived and been a part of our time and history and understands our struggles so intimately um, and yet, the bad stuff that happened was not the end of the story. That that there's that the story continues. That we are a part of that story, and it's because we are so incredibly loved, and so incredibly worthy of that love that God continues to break through. And so, you know, I I bring I guess when I say I bring my weird with me, like I bring that that sense of, or I try to bring that sense of, of joy and life giving power that the gospel has, that I find that the gospel has. And sometimes like we have to, we have to hold the gospel and, and our, you know, canon accountable for the harm that it's done. We have to hold our faith and our traditions accountable for the harm that they have done and in some cases are continuing to do. But that the harm does not need to be the end of the story. It doesn't need to be the final word. You know, like I try to, I try to live as an Easter person, um, that every opportunity is an opportunity for transformation and rebirth and resurrection. And that it's okay that 
really shitty things. It's it's not okay that shitty things happen. It's not. And that's unfair. And that's something that we need to be able to hold for people as well. Um, But that at the same time, there is hope, there is light, there is joy to be found. Um, We just have to make sure that we are open to it and allow ourselves to welcome in the spirit. And so I try to do that even in my messages now with the within the pandemic to recognize that like we're all struggling and no one feels good about this and we shouldn't feel good about it, right? Like nothing about this is okay. <laughs> nothing not being in like physical contact with our families or, you know, being able to see, you know, for those of us who are in ministry, like being able to see our parishioners, like being in contact with people. So much of what we do is reliant on presence and we can't do that. Um, But to assure people that, no, you can feel not okay about this. Um, That doesn't make you less of a Christian or less of a believer. That makes you more of a human. Um, and then what are, what's the wisdom that we can glean? Where's the joy that we can find in these ancient stories and these ancient texts that still speak to us today about transformation and resurrection? And what can we do with that and make it relevant? I like what you said about the, the bringing your weird kind of thing to the church. And I think there's a lot of authenticity language in there, right? Like you want to be you're appointed to the church because you are who you are and you bring with you a set of skills and gifts and personality and all of this stuff that the church needs right now. And I think that's, I I do think that that's important and, and especially, you know, like letting, letting your congregation see you and also recognizing that they see you in a different way than your family sees you, than your, um, your close friends need you. So what are the, are there things that you are, intentional about um, sharing or not sharing with those different groups of people? Well, I mean, one of the big things that I am super intentional about is that um, if I am using a personal illustration from my life um, as part of a sermon or a message, I tend to not preach it or I won't preach it unless I've already worked through it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's, that's just something that I do, um, one for my spiritual health, but also for the health of my, of my congregation. Um, I'm supposed to be the one who is there as the shepherd to, to help them identify the places in which God is present. Um, I don't need them being worried about me <laughs> as I'm trying to work my shit out from the pulpit, right? So um, I definitely, like, it's it's intentional that if I have not worked my way through it or if I have not um, felt it to be resolved enough that I can talk about it without being clouded um, and having the message get muddied up, I don't use it. Um, I also, and this is just, this is a personal thing. Like I also don't use my family's stories because those are their stories. Um, So like, I'm not going to talk about, so my oldest um, is my stepson whom I've adopted. So he's 19. I'm not going to talk about the struggles that he has as an illustration for, you know, how we can make our way through life, right? I'm not going to use my youngest kids' anxieties or fears as as an illustration. I'm not going to to talk about Brian's stuff because it's not my stuff. Um, and and I think that that's important. One, because it maintains that that level, uh, that boundary, right, between the church and and my family. Because I'm the pastor. It's not them. They they are just, you know, kind of along for the ride, right? Like this, I am the one who has chosen this particular path. Um, I'm the one who's responding to 
a particular call. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the kids have a call or that Brian's got a call, right? Like this is mine. Um, and so to impose upon their lives and use their stories is it just, it doesn't seem right. So that's one of the things that I do to, to maintain like some space there is, um, I only use my own stuff and it's only if, if I've come out on the other end of it. Now there are some things that, that happen or have happened that I am still working my way through, but there are particular parts of that journey that I have worked through and I can talk about. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm, with someone who is grieving or I'm with someone who is experiencing the sudden loss of a loved one. Um, you know, I can pull from the experience that I had when my mom passed away. Um, there are things that I'm still working through as part of that grieving process, which I mean, the grieving process does not have a finite amount of time that it lasts or doesn't last. Um, but there are parts of that journey that I can acknowledge and recognize and utilize um, as a way to help someone through their process um, in a way that's still authentic, but doesn't um, get me caught up in my own story all over again. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I, I resonate with that a lot. I kind of, when you were saying the thing about uh, not using your family, you know, your family's stuff to illustrate or other members of your family or whatever, I, I just flash back to like a pastor when I was a kid, like sharing stories of their teenage sons during worship and like the kids, you know, he would, he would start out and be like, my son, so-and-so. And then the person would look to the, to their dad and be like, oh shit, what is he going to say about me today? You know, like that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like I have, I, I mean, I have not, did not do much as a kid that was like bad, but, but I don't know that I would, I don't want that on display for the world. Um, because you're visible enough as a pastor's kid, right? Like I don't, I don't need that. Um, and I also, I don't know. I also appreciate what you said about, yeah, not, not bringing to the pulpit things that you haven't worked mm -hmm. on, worked through. Um, and yeah, I've heard this, I've heard the same concept used in like a sense of, you know, don't write about your trauma until you've, you've done some work in it. Um, it's not, you know, our, our sermons or, or our blogs or whatever work we're, we're putting out into the world. It's not our journal. It's not, it's not a diary of sorts. It's more of right. like a reflection or, or a way to tie in you as a human being to the story of God and God's people and like make that connection for folks who maybe don't, who maybe aren't able to articulate a time that they can relate to that story, right? Like we're sort of a, um, we're sort of like a model of what we, what we hope that others might mm -hmm. be able to gather from the story in a way. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think back to, uh, when I did my, when I was leaving my churches in Alaska, when I announced it to the churches that I was leaving, I talked about my health, which was the reason why I was leaving. And, and it was not a closed case end of story situation. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm still feeling like shit today. Like here's all the ways my body is broken today, like all of these things. And then I think it was, I think there was an Easter, I think it was in, it was in Lent. So it was some sort of like, death is not the end of the story, something like that, some way yeah. to tie it in. But the comments that I got afterwards, um, there was, I mean, everybody was very well-meaning and, and cared. And the fact that I had not been through that process enough that I know that I would, ne I'm never going to like make it completely through that. But I wasn't far enough into my own um, processing that I took that those comments as like advice or as things that that they ended up just kind of making me annoyed because I'm like, yeah, I've I've of course I've thought about this, right? But I couldn't give them like, and so then I moved to California and things were great and my body like knew what it was doing, whatever. And so I was getting like, oh, have you tried like? this supplement and have you done this and this and this? And I'm like, I've already made my decision. I just need you to like, like let it, let it happen. And in six months when I'm gone and starting this new place, like if I'm still feeling crappy, I'll come back to you for advice. But yeah, there's something like 
yeah frustrating about about um I don't know not being able to be understood and yes yeah and 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 not being I would it, it bothers me to no end like probably one of the things that frustrates me the most in life is when I say something and whoever I'm talking to is like oh but like you didn't think about this or you didn't think about that. And I'm like, of course I did. Like, I I don't know how many times I've rehearsed this thing that I just said to you in my mind before I said it out loud. Like, I don't, there's, there's no verbal processing that happens in my, in my brain at all. What? And so to, for, for people to be like, oh, maybe you haven't just, you maybe you just haven't thought of this solution. I'm like, of course I did. I thought about it three times actually. Like that, <laughs> it just bothers me to no end, like to not be understood. And so it, it kind of leaves that gate open when something's not completely closed case. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and like I said, you know, you've got people who are then trying to pastor you and, and that's not how this works. <laughs> No, and I, I I talked about that with I think maybe Elizabeth and and we were saying like I don't that's not your role right like I have my own pastor and I you being a member of the church and me being a member of the church is a very different thing like we're not we are a church family but this church that I serve is not my is not my church family if that makes sense in a way like there's this is not the place that I go to worship God for my own um, my own spiritual growth, right? I can experience God in this space, but because I'm in charge of setting up this space in a lot of ways and making mm-hmm. uh, opportunities for the Holy Spirit to show up in the midst of what I say and do, that is not that's not worship to me. It's it's um, I mean, it's leading worship. It's and and there are other places that I have to go for my own spiritual growth in order to experience God in the way that you experience God in in the community that, that I serve. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it has to do with, I think, vulnerability as well. And, and the level that, that we can allow ourselves to be vulnerable and still be effective leaders. Um, And, and this is certainly something that is, is an issue or is something that needs to be always reevaluated and always worked through, through, I think, especially for women in ministry that there's, you know, like if, if a man cries in the pulpit, oh, isn't it touching that he's showing his vulnerability? (laughs) Whereas like if a woman (laughs) cries in the pulpit, you know, it's like, oh my God, she's so emotional. And like, you know, and so I think, you know, that's part of it. That's part of the not working through my shit um, from the pulpit too, is that, you know, there, there is a, a certain level of leadership that I need to be able to, to maintain, not a level of leadership, but a certain level of authority that I need to maintain. And part of that is being like, yes, this was a sucky situation and shit hit the fan. And this is how I came out of it. While still at the same time acknowledging that I don't have all of the answers um, for this crappy situation, but I'm able to journey with it and carry it a little bit better because the load has been lightened because of the work that I have done. You kind of reframe that idea of pastoral authority to include like a humanness to it. Absolutely. And because I think that's really important. Um because we can't, we can't be robots. Right. And so like, so for example, our, um, our music director passed away very suddenly. Um, it was absolutely one of those moments where he was at work, his other job, like not the church position, one moment talking to somebody, the next moment slumped at the desk. I mean, incredibly tragic, incredibly quick. Um, and so we needed to acknowledge that there was this incredible loss in our church and I needed to do it quickly because, you know, we can't, you know, I'm working through this grief myself right at the same time as everybody else. 
Um, and so that's where the the story, uh, my story of being able to work through grief was able to be something that I could share um, as I was processing this fresh grief of losing Jim. So I could pull on the parts of my life story that I had worked through the grief um, and then acknowledge that I am looking forward to when I can then talk about this part of my story as something that I have gone through. And acknowledging that that's where so many of us in the congregation are at in that moment. And I'll admit, I shed some tears. It was, it was also Communion Sunday. And I mean, I, I administered communion with tears just streaming down my face. Um, but ultimately, the message that I was able to provide during that day was that, you know, this is incredibly sad and we need to sit in it and we need to embrace it. And because that's part of the process of working through it and look at me, I'm your pastor. I have been through X, Y, Z situation and I have come out on the other side of it. Um, and I've been okay. And right now we're all in the midst of this really sad, incredible stuff and we're not okay, but we will be. Um, so there was a part, there was, it was that tension of being like an authority on how to get through grief while still grieving actively alongside the members of the congregation. It's a weird kind of tension, you know, like, Hey, I'm an authority on how to be, you know, on how to maintain faith, even when asking God the, what the fuck questions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and we'll get through this because here's an example of how I felt devastated and have made my way through it. And I'm going to be applying these same principles that I have gleaned from that experience to this new experience of grieving over the loss of our music director. So join me in that because we're all processing it together. There was a, a sense of like, okay, Pastor Alicia is definitely going through this with us. But we can come to her for additional support because we know that she at least has some answers. Yeah, it's not burdensome to put it's you're, it's not like they're adding another thing onto your shoulders that you're already carrying. It's it's you know it, it, I, I think that that has to be conveyed somehow, right? That it's not like, I have too much to handle personally right now that I can't take on another thing in that kind of a situation. Exactly. There are certainly times when that is true, but uh, yeah, how do I reassure both connect to the congregation and relate to what they're going through? Because I'm also going through that and also convey that like, this is my, my job is to walk with you through grief. And so I can do both and, and especially right. now I can understand and, and help you, um, help you understand this process a little bit easier too. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, and I think there's a, there's like a, a comfort in knowing that sometimes your pastor has questions and that doesn't make them any less of a pastor. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and and I think that, you know, and that's part of why I said before, like, I bring my weird with me. Like, I bring my my need to look at situations and find where God is breaking through. Um, because there's an authenticity to that. It, it lets folks know that it's okay to have questions and it's okay to have doubts. And because that's what we do. I mean, even Jesus had doubts, right? Like, during during his ministry and his mission... Um, that doesn't make him any less of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, and not to say that I'm the Messiah, cause ugh, we all know that ain't the <laughs> truth. Um, but, but to be able to say like, Hey, you know, I'm, I am called to be a reflection of God's love and to be a reflection of Christ in the world. And like Christ, I have my moments where I am, you know, feeling like, life just isn't fair. Um, but because of 
my role as pastor because of my call, because of the the education and the scholarship and the things that I've worked my way through, I still am able to support you and I have space to hold your stuff as well as mine. Um, and, and that's, you know, I think that that's part of this making connections with people and, and allowing them to, to enter into their own faith journey in a way that they can say, Hey, like, okay, we all are in different places in our journey. We're all connecting to God and the divine in different ways. And, but the, the end all be all is that God is still meeting each and every single one of us at the point of our need, like still meeting us on our roads. Um, and so we're in this together in that respect, but it's going to look different for everybody. And so we just need to be able to kind of band together and figure out where God is making God's presence known. Um, going as we as we sort of start to wrap up, I want to ask you the the yeah. final question that we're asking everybody, which uh, is since the podcast is called "Ask a Pastor Anything," uh, what if you could ask a pastor anything, what would you ask? Oh gosh. So many questions. Um, I think the the question that I always want to know, like anytime I meet somebody who's in ministry, um, is like, who was the person that affirmed your call and like convinced you that, no, you're not, this is not hubris. Like you really are called to this work. Because um, I think for, for so many of us, we when we perceive or, or hear that call for the first time, for many of us, the, the next thought is there's no way, <laughs> right? Like there's no way I'm being called. Like this is not part of my, my grand plan in life. Um, so like who, who was it that you went to when you finally said, okay, God, I'm going to entertain this. Um, and then affirmed the, the fruits of the spirit in you, affirmed that this was your call. That's what I would want to know. Who affirmed your call for you? Yeah, that's, I, I think there's this like note or, or visual that I get of like looking over your, like God is like calling you and you look over your shoulder to see who's behind you that God is calling, right? And there's like, no, are you serious? Like me? I don't know that that's, I don't know if that's right. what you mean by that. And and also like how many, I'd be curious also, even just in my own life, how many times like I have not heard a call that was given to me because I was blocking it out or avoiding it or just like subconsciously um, like wasn't ready to hear it. Like it would be interesting to me to figure out the first time that somebody said that I was called or affirmed a call that I had before I even knew it, right? Because I can remember the first time my call was, I recognize somebody affirming my call, but I also, yeah, I just, I just wonder how many years I spent being like, no, like that's not a thing or, or finding ways to, to not acknowledge a call. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've talked about my, my story. I mean, I, the original plan was law school, right? There, seminary was mm -hmm. never on my radar. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, there, there was a moment where I was like, wait a minute, why am I trying to fit my theology into my vocation? Like, why am I not doing it the other way around? Why am I not making my vocation, my theology? And, and then just sitting back and being like, wait a second, like, I am so not pastor material. Like, do I really think that I can do this? And, you know, going to who was at the time my pastor and saying like, hey, this is, I, I think I'm being called. And I think this is a call that's been on my life this whole journey, but I need you to like, just say like, yes, Alicia, you are not just imagining this. This is something that you need to do. Um, Cause that really made all the difference in the world to have, even though we know we're not supposed to rely on external affirmations, right? <laughs> it's not, it's, it's important to, to be able to have a sounding board and have somebody say like, no, this is definitely not, you just thinking you can do this better or, you know, your own 
hubris. This is definitely a call on your life. And these are the fruits that I have seen. And this is why I've been wondering when we were going to have this conversation. Um, you know, so that, that's why I'm always curious to hear about that. Like, who was that person? And, and why did you listen to them and not yourself? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great, a great question to, to end with. Um, yeah. So, Alisa, where can people find you if they want to connect with you or your work? So I am on Instagram. I am at Mamalogen. Um, you can find me there. I do a lot of my work on, on Insta and on Facebook. So you can find us on um, our Facebook page, which is Bridgewater UMCMA, because there is one in New Jersey, um, but we're the Massachusetts one. And you can also find us online at um, www.bridgewaterunitedmethodist.com. Perfect. We will uh, put those links in the description too. So folks can, can look there for them. Um, thank you so much, Alicia, for being here today and for chatting with us. This was really, it was fun to connect. Um, it's fun to connect again. Yeah. Well, th- and thank you so much for, for putting the call out for, for folks who, you know, would be interested in, in talking a little bit more about this. I think it's it's such a great opportunity for us to not only connect with each other through the work of ministry, but just to let folks know that, you know, us pastors, we, for the most part, are just like everybody else. We have our doubts and we have our questions and, um, you know, we're, we're loons. Yeah, totally, yeah. Um, you know, but it's, 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 this is important work that you're doing as well. So I appreciate your ministry and your outreach um, incredibly. Thank you. I will accept that affirmation. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again and have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Stay healthy, stay safe. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, friends. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review or financially support through my Patreon. If you have a question you'd like to see in a future episode, you can send a voice memo or send a DM to at askapastoranything on Instagram. You can also connect with me directly at Bailey N. Bronner on Twitter and Instagram. See you next episode, friends. You are so loved. <laughs>